You're listening to The Light Weekly, the weekly podcast ministry of The Light KC. If you would like more information about our journey to reimagine church, visit us online at thelightkc.org. How many of you are seated in about the same location that you would be if we were sitting in chairs? Mm-hmm. How many of you are not? Right. How many of you feel a little weird right now? Okay, good. That's the point. Always? Yeah. So if, if you are here this morning and if you are online watching, what I would encourage you if you're watching like from your living room, like go to your kitchen. Like do something different. Um, here's why. We have been exploring what it means, right, for the New Testament church, the ripple effects of what it meant for Jesus to come, to die, to rise again, and for the church to begin, everything had to look different. Now, granted, sitting around round tables for a church service isn't that dramatic, right? I mean, some of you have done this before, and you're like, okay, well, it's different today. But the reality is, it has to look drastically different. And that is what the book of Acts is all about. Church was drastically different. We've been exploring what it means, looking how Jesus changes everything. Christopher did an amazing job last week talking about how the church in Jerusalem grew. Fellowship was the foundation of that growth. Where does fellowship happen best? Anyone? Around a table, right? And the church in Acts was on mission. They were united around the message of Jesus and they were filled with the Spirit. I love what that last song saying. It says, with all the worship we could bring. How many of you would say you brought worship this morning? Like we're in the presence of the King. Did you bring your worship? Or did you just come because it's the thing you do on Sunday mornings? No, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not even going to ask you to like check a box for that. But my point is, we have to understand that when we come here, we bring our worship so that we can go out there and be contagious to those that we come in contact with. They were committed to living their life in a radically different way. Radically different way equals good, not bad right? We live a questionable life. Question, why do you do what you do? Because Jesus lives in me. So here we are. We are looking out today's scripture. I'm going to give you a little bit of background because we've been in Acts 2 and we're going to jump all the way to Acts 8 today. And a lot of stuff happens between Acts 2 and Acts 8. And basically the church is growing. They were meeting the needs of people, but there began to be some grumbling about how they were meeting the needs of people. Now, I know we find that so hard to believe because there's never grumbling in today's church, right? Amen? Right. Okay. So anyway, the disciples were having a hard time. The apostles were having a hard time keeping everything going. So basically, they assigned some food bank workers, basically, to help meet the physical needs of the people. These men must have been filled with the Spirit, and they must have been part of the church to be part of that fellowship that we talked about. 
But what happened was these everyday men and women begin to experience and be part of the signs and wonders that God was doing. They begin to, to be able to perform miracles and see lives changed. And, and they were taking, miracles were taking place and people were being baptized and lives were being transformed. As you can imagine, this didn't really go over well with the religious sect of the day. They were a little not happy about this. And when I say a little, like a whole lot. And one of those workers' name was Stephen. And in Acts 6, it tells us that Stephen was full of God's grace. He was full of God's grace. I think that meant that he brought his worship. That means that he, he came ready. He was filled with the Spirit. He was filled with God's grace. But he was arrested because he was talking so much about this grace that he was filled with and what Jesus had done. And, and he was arrested and went before the council and he ended up preaching a message to them that should have had anyone and everyone who was listening like repenting and turning to Jesus. He called them out on their stuff and directed them to the Messiah. But instead, it infuriated them. And bad things took place. In Acts 7, it says this, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fist at him in rage. Have you ever had someone like physically get so angry at you, they, they shake their fist at you? And they make beautiful faces and they say four-letter words like love you. Anyway, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing in a place of honor at God's right hand. They put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of the young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with the sin. And with that, he died. Now, that's probably not a feel-good story. You probably don't have warm fuzzies reading over that. But he prayed. He died praying this. God, don't charge them with the sin of killing me. Man, this gets me every time. I mean, like, we're talking literally every time I, I read this. Stephen is so passionate about the Messiah that he, his desire was that everyone would know the Messiah and that everyone would come to know the grace that even as they were stoning him, and can you imagine being put to death by being stoned? He prays, I don't want any sin, including this sin against me, to be held against them. Church, how are we doing with that? Are you so passionate about people coming to know Jesus that you don't want the sin against you that they committed held against them? I gotta, I gotta be honest, 
I'm not very good at this. There's been some things in the last week that have just been like right here in the front of my mind and, and I get, can get pretty angry about. And I definitely want sin. I want their sin and Jesus to hold them accountable for it. Right? Because it hurts me or it hurts someone I love. And so as I'm reading this over and over and, and Stephen's saying, Lord, receive my spirit. Fell to his knees, Lord, Don't charge them with this sin. Would this be a pivotal point in the church of today if the church was so passionate about those who wrong us that they would become Christ followers? Would this be a pivotal point in how we interact with people who have wronged us? Instead of wanting to see revenge, instead of wanting to see them hurt, instead of wanting them to see you fill in the blank, we want them to see Jesus? And maybe some of you have this down. And if you do, let's talk this week. But I believe this is a pivotal point in the life of the church. Stephen is a pivotal point in the life of the New Testament church because what happened from there started a ripple effect that could not be stopped. And in Acts chapter 8, if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, uh, tablets, however you read the word of God, in Acts chapter 8, it says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. We're not going to go into Saul and Paul in this series, but he was pivotal. He was a, a monumentous movement all by himself. But it says a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered. They were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So what happened, because of Stephen's faith, the church became a persecuted church and people scattered. You know, we we saw the New Testament church. We've been looking at how it was there in Jerusalem and it was growing, but it had to be bigger than that. It had to go. And the way that God used that movement to go was through persecution Anytime you see throughout history that the church is growing, it is not because the church is full on food and full on money and full on life. It is because it is a persecuted church. There's an eagerness. There's an anticipation. There's, there's a seriousness. There's we have to do this. It grows because they're persecuted and their very lives dependent on the hope and the promise of Jesus. None of you are persecuted. You came in here today freely. There's not armed men at our door. There there is not anyone that is going to hopefully do anything stupid today because you came to church. I want to share with you something that Dr. Tony Evans shared several years ago. And it's a powerful, powerful little story. How many of you like football? How many of you go watch Chiefs today? That has nothing to do with it. Football does, but not the Chiefs. In football, they have a huddle. The goal of the huddle is to give you 30 seconds to call the play. At a professional game, there may be 60,000 plus people more, 
and they are watching you huddle. And the people don't mind you taking 30 seconds to call the play. They understand that you have to get organized, that you have to know what's going on. The ends need to know where they're going. The quarterback needs to know where he's going. The backs need to know where they're going. A huddle is necessary. It's a necessary part of the game. You have to have the huddle to play football. But let me inform you, if you do not already know this, 60,000 people do not pay $200 a ticket to watch the huddle, right? They want to see if their team can overcome the opposition, which is daring them to snap the ball, move down the field, and score. What they want to know is, does your practice work? Unfortunately, Christians often get high on the huddle. We gather on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and go nuts over the huddle. We say, wow, we have a great huddle. My quarterback can play better than your quarterback. And boy, boy, oh boy, we just, are, we just could go off on this huddle that we have all the time. But what people don't seem to understand is that the huddle is not how we play the game. The effectiveness of our church cannot be measured by how well we do on Sunday mornings. The test of the church is what does it do in the marketplace? What we need today is churches that are representation of Jesus, not only when we're gathered, but when we're scattered. Now, I just want you to know that Tony Evans preached that in 1987. Some of you weren't alive. Most of you were. Church, some of you are paying to watch the huddle and brag about the talent on the stage instead of encouraging and engaging in the mission. The huddle then and now is to obtain power and encouragement and then rally around and play the call and make a touchdown. Bring people to Jesus to live out our faith to show people what grace really looks like, what worship really looks like. Here's what I think is so powerful. They didn't scatter and hide. When Stephen was killed, they didn't say, okay, everybody, let's go into our houses, huddle up. Now don't leave. It's scary out there. There are people out there who think differently than us. And they they may have a rock and throw it at us. They, they may, they may, Jason was walking through the streets of New York at two in the morning and he was, a, a guy was out of his mind with who knows what and he picked up his bike he was riding and he threw it at Jason and knocked him down and skinned up his legs and all these things, right? There are scary people out there and they may throw things at us or they may have something even a little more deadly in their pocket, Right? We cannot live out our faith in the huddle. We live out our faith so that it's contagious, so that we can make touchdowns. This is what I think is we proclaim the word of Jesus, not what I think, what I know is when we get out of it and we're excited about the huddle. I mean, you today, as you're watching football, you watch the guys come out of the huddle. Do they come out of the huddle defeated? Do they come out, well, sometimes, but do they come out of the huddle thinking, I don't know if we can make this play or not. No, they're like, yes, hitting each other on the booty and going, okay, let's go. We got this. Woohoo! We're going to make a touchdown, right? We're going to get a first down. I, 
You should be leaving here this excited. Woohoo! I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus this week. It's Thanksgiving. Do they know all that we have to be thankful for? They didn't scatter and hide. They didn't scatter and protect themselves. No, they scattered and planted more seeds. And in 8, verse 4, it says, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. There was a man named Simon who had been a sorcerer for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Every from, everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one in the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message. They believed his message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized, and Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for those new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. Look, here's the thing. It was a persecuted church. People were so passionate about Jesus that they didn't care. But let me tell you what the church didn't do. They didn't agonize about the scattering. They didn't criticize the scattering. They evangelized. What do we do when our fellowship is disrupted? Do we get excited? Look, over the last two, three years, our fellowship has been disrupted. I just want to know, were we agonizing over it? Were we criticizing or were we evangelizing? Do more people in your life know Jesus today than they did three years ago? Do people today know what the church is about after our fellowship was disrupted? I hate to say that the people think they know what the church is about, and it's nothing good, and it's definitely not united around the name of Jesus. What do we do? Do you agonize over, I had to sit at a table today. I mean, some of us agonized when we went from pews to chairs, and now we're in chairs at tables. I mean, we have agonized over a lot of things. We have criticized a lot of things when maybe we should have been looking at these as tools to evangelize, to get in our huddles and say, you know what? There's a Jesus out there that changes everything. He transforms you. 
The supernatural signs and wonders, the miracles of the New Testament was followed by obedience to Jesus. If you go a little further in chapter eight, you see that Philip has an encounter with the angel of the Lord and he sent him even further down the road where he meets an eunuch from Ethiopia and he leads him to Jesus. And then the gospel is scattered into Africa. And then it ends, chapter eight ends with Philip had just baptized the eunuch. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotos. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Sierra. While I often, often want the Lord to snatch me up like from a cold place like Kansas and put me in a warm beach all in the name of the gospel, right? I mean, if I lived in Buffalo this morning, I would be like, oh dear Jesus, is there a beach someplace you can transport me to, right? Okay? I say that kind of tongue in cheek, right? But Philip literally is like just doing what he's supposed to be doing and he's one place one minute and then the next minute he's someplace else and he's baptizing people and he's telling them about Jesus and the, the good news is spreading and the church is spreading and the people that he tell go and tell other people and before we know it, you've got to send more people to baptize him and apostles and all these things, right? Because this is good news, right? You're very quiet. This is good news, Jesus changes everything. Church, we have an enormous amount of work to do. People today, like people then, still need to know the hope of Jesus. There are people within this block who need to know the hope of Jesus. There are people that you work with, that you go to school with, that you encounter every day. People in your family who need the hope of Jesus. We are not called just to huddle. We are called to win the game. And we cannot spend all of our time, talent, and treasure only in the huddle. We have to scatter and do it with such excitement and such passion that it draws people to Jesus. The ripple of the persecuted church was a passion to see people know Jesus no matter the cost. Are you that passionate about the gospel? If you were honest this morning, did you share Jesus with anybody in the last six days? Did you share your faith with anyone that doesn't know Jesus in the last six days? But were you really excited about how awesome that message was that Christopher did last week? Wow, it was, it was on point. But if it was just on point on Sunday and we didn't do anything with it the rest of the week, then we're not in the game. We're just in the huddle. We're just in the huddle. I realize everything looks different today. We're going to have communion, as you probably have already picked up on, since there is communion elements in the middle of your table. If you are at a table by yourself, go to a table that has someone with it, someone else in the table. If you have more than eight people at your table, you're going to need to steal elements from another table. But here's the thing. You don't, you don't need an ordained pastor at your table for communion today. You don't, you don't need anything special. 
because the spirit of the Lord is already here. And I want us to get excited about being at this table and celebrating Jesus and the communion and, and the death that he had for us and the resurrection of his life. As we go in, we're gonna start Advent next week. That's unbelievable. But I want you to take this time at your table and we're gonna take time for this to talk about your light bulb moment. Maybe a person you know you need to share. And then we're gonna take communion together. If you, if you are set, seated at a table where you know everybody and you, you see another table where maybe there's new people or people who, who may be all, if you are at a table with all introverts, please, extrovert, please go to a table. We need you. We need our extroverts at a table, right? And we're just gonna spend five minutes so you're not, you're not like telling your whole life story right now. You're simply, what is my light bulb moment today? What is God saying to me in this moment? Maybe you need to say, I am not a Christ follower and, and I need somebody to pray for me. Tell me what that means. And, and if that's you and there's not somebody at your table who can answer that, just wave your hand and somebody will come to your table. And I'm gonna pull us back together and we're gonna take communion together at your table. So in these moments, Father God, we pray that we'll be honest, that we will enjoy the fellowship and the accountability that comes around the table. But Lord, we'll be challenged to move from this place, to be scattered with a passion to know and to see people know Jesus. May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace as you learn to trust him so that you can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go and get lit for Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to connect with us, please visit our website at thelightkc.org. More information is available in the show notes.